listening to the Rent Roll Radio Show with Sterling Chapman. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining us again. We have a special guest today, Aaron Fragnito. He is the co-owner of People's Capital Group. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sterling. Glad to be here. So we usually like to kick off our program just asking our guests, you know, why should we listen to you? Sure. Well, uh, I got started in real estate about 10 years ago. I got started as a realtor. I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad and decided to throw in my hat in the ring for real estate. And uh, I got started as a realtor. You know, my first six months, I made about $500, but I eventually started to build a team and, and sell a lot of real estate and was able to uh, save up some capital and buy a six family with my partner, Seth Martinez, who I work with to today. Over about five years, I built a portfolio of about 100 doors by using the buy, renovate, refinance strategy. And we also flipped about 50 houses over the last seven years or so. So we've done high-end flips, low-end flips, mid-level, everything, the whole gambit. I've done over 250 real estate transactions. I've wholesaled real estate. I've developed a realtor team that managed very high-end projects. And now I'm focusing on my real estate syndication business, which is buying about one apartment building every quarter. Awesome. Well, it sounds like you have a wealth of experience and definitely a lot of good advice to share with our listeners. So I'm really looking forward to it. So let's go go back to the beginning a little bit, you know, unpack what you just told us and how did you, what did you do before you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad? And that was, that, you know, that's the book that changed all of our lives. Right. But what did you do before that? Why'd you decide to go real estate? Why'd you decide to sell real estate? What was it like building a team and and then how did you make that transition into investing what did you start investing then yeah well i uh, majored in entrepreneurship at rowan university very cool major but it's very open-ended i didn't really know what i wanted to do with my life when i got out of college and i remember it's 2009 just like the worst economy to graduate into and enterprise rented a car said i could work for them for thirty-two thousand dollars a year and then by the time i was 65 i might be able to retire you know, but I really had no passion for that. I was going to sell insurance like on a commission basis, which I had less of a passion for. <laughs> so I went out to Colorado and I, I, I love to ski. I still love to ski and I'm pretty darn good at it. So I taught kids how to ski for about six months. I was a ski instructor, lived with my buddies out there, had a great time after I graduated from college. And I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I said, wow, I really have a passion for this. I know nothing about it. I don't have any money, but I have a passion for this. And I read uh, Trump University and David Lindahl, and I decided I want to be a big real estate investor and own big apartment buildings. So I made a list. I said, okay, here's the plan. And over 10 years, I'm going to build a portfolio a net worth of a million dollars with $100,000 of passive cash flow. And to get to that point, I worked my way down. Okay, I need to make connections, save capital, learn the business, start you know creating a reputation, a good reputation of the business. So it all starts, okay, at the bottom then, why don't I get licensed to start? Because getting your realtor's license is pretty easy. You can take the course and get started. You know, it was really hard to make money then as a realtor. My first commission check was for $5,000 after six months of work. And my broker paid me $500 out of it and said, read the fine print. Yes. Nice. Really nice broker. Yes. So I switched brokers, you know, jumped around a little bit, finally ended up at Remax a couple of years later and developed a team there of agents. But I wasn't so great at that either because I structured the team where I was covering their desk fees at Remax, your desk fees. And I was on a commission split with these guys, a very favorable commission split to me. But the thing is, they never sold me houses because they had no motivation to do so because I was covering all their fees. Now, that was one of the challenges of building a realtor team. But I was able to get to a point where I was making about $150,000 a year as an agent, about 40 houses one year by about my third year in 
I had really figured out short sales. I had all these investors that would buy short sales and I was you know, learning from them and what they were doing. And, you know, I started, you know, as an investor realtor, I worked with a lot of investors. How, what, how was that? Because I've kind of gotten, when I first started investing, I found a lot of realtors didn't want to work with me and I didn't really blame them because I wanted them to show me 50, $60,000 houses that I was going to, you know, bid half of what they were worth on all of them. So they were, mm-hmm. they were doing like 10 times the work and getting a, a right. fifth commission. Yeah. They used to call me the $40,000 man, you know, and for <laughs> Jersey, that's like really cheap, you know, houses here are like half a million bucks. So yeah, I mean, it, listen, it was a tough gig. I worked a lot of hours. My partner, Seth Martinez, no other realtors would take his offers because they were so low. Right. But I love this guy. He was lowballing sellers. It's like 2010 and like he's stealing real estate. So I'm like, Oh man, I want to learn from this guy. So I wasn't really making much money, you know, selling $40,000 houses. Yeah, you don't make much money. But I was learning from all these investors. The savvy guys were just crushing it in 2010, 11, really scooping up a lot of real estate, super cheap. So no other realtors would work with Seth Martinez because all of his offers were so low. And as a realtor, it's a waste of time. But I loved it. I had a system in place. So I started putting in like 40 offers. One would get accepted. And I started learning from guys like Seth and other investors I was working with. And Seth was very well organized. He was good at buying these properties cheap and managing them. He had just exited out of a medical billing company and had a good amount of capital. So I was new to the business. I didn't have a lot of capital. I had sales experience, but my weaknesses complemented his strengths and vice versa. So, you know, we ended up buying a six family together around 2012. I put down 20000 He put down 20000 We got a hard money loan for the rest and the money to renovate it. You know, we found the property from a We Buy Houses sign that we stapled on a telephone pole. Yeah. I still have guys that staple those things on telephone poles. And they don't work as well as, as they used to back then. They were everybody's doing it now. Yeah. And, and the mar- it's a seller's market. So if you want to sell your home, you go online, your home sold in 30 minutes, you know, like, right. Uh, so, but back then in 2010, 2011, no one was buying houses. So like that, you put a, we buy houses sign on a telephone pole, you get like 30 leads. It was awesome. So that first deal y'all did that sixplex, how did that end up working out? What were the numbers on that? So you, but you got a short-term hard money loan and renovated and I imagine you had to refinance. How did it appraise? What did you do with it afterwards? Yeah. So we got it for two twenty. It needed about fifty thousand dollars in work, so you know we're at two seventy. You know, call three hundred with operating costs. It was a good property. It appraised at about four hundred fifty thousand dollars. About six months later, once we renovated it and leased up the units, it didn't mean much work. Fifty thousand dollars for a six unit is light, sure. very light construction. I think it was half occupied, so we spruced up three more units, rented them out. You know, I was an agent. You know, I'm still an agent, so I leased them all out, and then the building was renovated and cash flowing. Well renovated. It was renovated enough to, you know, cash flow properly and they wouldn't work properly. But the cool thing about apartment buildings is it's not like a fix and flip. I've done a ton of fix and flips and you got to put in the best quality materials. You got to make sure you pass a home inspection. You got all these moving pieces. You got to find someone that's going to fall in love with your home and want to move there with their family, you know? So rentals are much easier. The renovations are faster. There's no permits involved generally and, and the rental process is much easier. So you know, but anyway, we, we rented out the units, we, we leased up the building, it appraised at 450000 So we went and we refinanced the property. So we got a loan for 70% of $450,000, which, you know, we refinanced, we paid back our old loan. 70% of four fifty dollars is, let's say, you know, three fifty. dollars Okay. So we were into it for about 300000 So we got 
$50,000 equity right there. Plus we got all our money back. That's called a cash out refinance. And you kept the property. We kept the property. We still own to this day. It still makes us maybe a thousand bucks a month. We collect a management fee on it. We own the management company. It's decent investment. It's probably worth $650,000. I'd say I owe probably 300 on it. So it's, it's a you know, gift that keeps on giving. Nice. So talk to me about the management company. Was that just like a spinoff of the, the real estate agency? Why did you start a property management company? What's your experience been like with property management? Yes. So um, once you get to about 50 units, it, it, you know, it starts probably 75, maybe so it starts to make sense to have your own management company. I found management companies didn't care for your baby the way you wanted them to. It's kind of like hiring a babysitter, you know, right. they might feed them, they might keep them warm, but they're not really going to create the child you want, you know? So, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I had one management company that was a very reputable nationwide management company. They promised us the world and then completely underdelivered and the property was like 75% vacant. We had a 25 unit in South Jersey at this point. So we fired that big reputable management company for our 25 unit in South Jersey. And we hired a small local company that and promised the world that local management company would meet tenants at the property, collect the first month's rent security deposit and do the same thing again with three or four more tenants for the same unit in the same day, pocket all the money and run off. Right. (laughs) But they would lease the same unit to four or five families and then pocket all the money and run off just to thieves. They were thieves. So basically, we had to take them to court. We won. You know, at this point, though, we were saying, okay, we switch to a third management company. We're going to look like incompetent landlords. We fire the third one, go to the fourth. But really, so we said, we're going to switch one more time to the right management company, but we need to do this the right way 100%. We shopped around. We were interviewing management companies. We're saying, we want 95% collections. We want you to increase the rent roll by 5 to 7% per year. We want you to get the cheapest renovations done at the best price, quickly, on budget. We want you to you know, foresee issues and, and really manage this thing like really, really tight. And management companies, oh, by the way, we want you to do for a discounted management rate. And every management company we went to were like, eh, no, no, thanks, but no thanks. You know, or, or they would be like, yeah, we could do some of that for you. Right. You know, just sign here. So, you know, we realized, you know what, if you want something done right, sometimes you got to do it yourself. So, yeah, absolutely. We developed a management company. We work with Appfolio, which is a great technology. I have Lena. I keep it lean and mean here. I have a really good employee. She does my leasing for me. She does my management for me. We have, right now we have about 75 doors. We just sold that 25 unit. I'll tell you, I'll tell you why. But, you know, we developed our own management company and, you know, I had some growing pains with that too. Like I had all these contractors. I had a contractor who was really good. And then I put him on payroll and all of a sudden all the jobs took twice as long and, you know, <laughs> things. Co- and I'm like, Oh, okay. So when I pay per hour, a four hour job takes eight hours. That's great. That's good to know. So, you know, I got I'm taken advantage of there. We realized you've got to work with contractors on an independent contractor basis, and completion yeah. basis. I was asking that question selfishly because I'm going through growing pains at the moment where I don't have, I have a W2 job that takes up my day and I'm trying to manage 26 properties and it's eating me alive. And I've I've had similar experiences with property management companies. So starting a company is, seems to be the best option at this point. So that, that was kind of where that question was birthed. Yeah. It sounds like it's kind of the same all over there. So I'm glad to hear that's going well for you. I'm glad to hear that, you know, it's possible. But listen, be words of advice, but be careful. You're going to burn yourself out managing 26 units yourself. That is a full-time job in itself. 
you know, it's not sustainable to work that many hours and take that many dirty toilet phone calls. It burns you out. It's a property management is a is a tough experience. Tenants are rude to you. Things constantly go wrong. You constantly are solving problems, and it's a thankless job. It's a very tough end of the apartment building business. It's one of the hardest parts of it. In fact, people all you know raising capital must be the hard part. But that's challenging. But once you have a good product and good track record, the capital comes. The management long term is is difficult. It's frustrating. Absolutely. So, how did you scale? What did y'all do after you got out of the sixplex? What happened next? So, you know, we got into twos and threes and sixes. We, we started buying property packages. We bought a lot around Newark, New Jersey, around Rutgers University. You know, just really made a killing in downtown Newark over the years. We got into a 25 unit in South Jersey. That was the one I was just talking about where we had to fire two management companies and develop our own. And, you know, this is all happening around 2013 or so. We incorporated about 25 unit. And, you know, at that point, we had bought that building down 25 unit from a guy who was actually the town inspector. So we bought the building for a nice discount. I think it appraised at 1.2. We bought it for like a million seventy five. So, you know, he was all angry because we got a great price on the property that he sold us. I don't know if he's angry. A deal's a deal. You know, so he was the town inspector. So one time a tenant put a TV on their curb for a few days and he fined us $11,000. Other times he would just simply make sure we don't pass inspections and he just hated us. So we found out don't buy a property from the town inspector. (laughs) Absolutely. That was difficult. Okay. So next in our program, we usually like to cover our highlights and lowlights. Can you tell us about your like best knockout of the park home run deal and, and kind of run us through the numbers on that? And then maybe one that didn't go quite as well as, as planned. Sure. Well, we have wholesaled and fixed and flipped many properties. So let me talk about wholesaling for a minute because wholesaling is very cool. So that's when you put a property under contract and you assign the contract. Right. So that's a big part of our business. We made over a million dollars wholesaling around 2018. It was a great time to go to sheriff sale auctions. So just a good example of a building we bought. One time we bought a building at sheriff sale auction. Uh, We got the bid at about $20,000 for two family in Belleville, New Jersey. The property had fire damage, but it was still worth about $130,000. $130,000. This is a time and when there were a lot of properties coming to the sheriff sale auctions and people didn't really know as much. There weren't as many people there now. There's tons of people there now. It's really hard to get a good deal. But this property, we were able to scoop it up. It just like fell onto the list. We didn't really know about it. We hadn't seen it before. We really took a leap of faith and we bought it for $20,000. Then I called up a few investors I know and showed them the property and they agreed to buy the property for $130,000. So I had the bid at 20. I put down $5,000 to lock up the bid. You got to put down, you know, actually I put down $4,000. It's 20% of 20 is 4,000. So yeah, so $4,000. I found a buyer 130 about 2 weeks later. I assigned him the bid. He paid me back my $4,000. I put down plus another 110,000 on top. So we were able to make, you know, $110,000 profit in about three weeks over $4,000 investment. Wow. That is that. Yeah. That sounds like a home run. How about one that maybe didn't go so great? 
So one of the reasons we got into wholesaling was because we were fixed and flipping a lot of properties. We were doing dozens of projects at the same time and we, and we were making money on the middle and small flips. And we said, well, we're so great at flipping houses that are small and middle. Why don't we get in a million dollar flips? Because we're great house flippers. So we took our contractors that were working in inner city areas, doing small fix and flips and doing them well and affordably. And we moved them into our big high-end flips. And they promised us the world and said, I could do this renovation. We bought this big 4,000 square foot contemporary home in Morristown. And it was in decent shape. It was built in the 80s, needed a little updating, but overall it was in good shape, big pool, big yard. And our contractor that we used in the inner city areas came out and she's like, you know, I can gut this whole thing and redo it with fancy finishings for $180,000. We're like, there's no way you can gut renovate a 4,000 square foot home for $180,000 with high-end finishings. And she's like, don't worry about a thing. Haven't I done you well in Newark? We're like, yeah, yeah. So we're like, all right, sounds too good to be true. We'll go with it. So she gutted the whole house and said, oops, it's going to cost me $400,000 to do this. And we said, that's more than twice what you told us. And that's <laughs> not good. And she also convinced us to kind of give her a large deposit because like, it's a big job. She's like, well, if you want me to do it for a good price, I need a large deposit. <laughs> so she got us every which way, man. She ran off with that money and left us high and dry. You know, we learned the value of lien waivers on that day. We learned the value of paying your contractor piecemeal based on completion and not words. And we learned not to use low-end contractors for high-end flips and go with your gut. You know, if you know something costs 400 grand, someone says they can do it for less than half, they're lying to you, you know, and that's the bottom line. So we lost a lot of money on that investment. We made good to our investors. We sold the property for $100,000 less than we thought we would. The final renovation wasn't really done properly. We hired a few other contractors that kind of botched it even more. And, you know, it went from bad to worse. So definitely a learning curve for us. We made good on the investors. We made good. You know, we lost money, but our investors did not. And that's the most important thing. Absolutely. So it sounds like you had a lot of, a lot of experience and a lot of success with your wholesaling and your flipping and even your, you know, your ones and twos. So why the transition to multifamily syndication? Well, you know, we really are having trouble cash flowing on our twos and threes. And to this day, I still struggle cash flowing on anything less than six units. You know, I own a five unit and the blasted roof keeps leaking, like not the main roof, but the back roof over like the back little half of the property. And it has just cost me $20,000 to fix this mysterious leak. I've redone the roof twice. I've resealed the doors and windows and siding. And now, now I literally have my contractor spraying the side of the house to figure out where the leak's coming in on the siding. It's just ridiculous. And of course, exactly where it drips into is my most picky tenant who, as soon as they see a little watermark, says they're not paying the rent. You know? So just a perfect example of a tricky property where, you know, if it was a 50 unit, I would be okay spending $20,000 on a roof. I'd, I'd be angry about it, but I'd still be cash flowing a little bit of money. But since it's a five unit, that's a huge investment. That's yeah. four years of positive cash flow down the drain. So it's easier to make money on things that 20 units are plus. We do not buy really anything less than 10 units. We're not going to buy and hold. We still flip out properties, you know, we'll assign properties, we'll, we'll wholesale, fix and put stuff. But uh, anything long-term holds, 10 is the minimum amount of units we'll take on. It really 20 units, the sweet spot, you know, 20 plus, you start to be able to, they're more forgiving, right? If you lose a tenant on a two family, 
you lose half your income. Now you're writing a check for the mortgage and the taxes. You lose a tenant on a 25 unit, you're still making money at the end of the month. You know, it's yeah. perfectly fine. So it's better to buy the bigger buildings. They're the more forgiving. And the fix and flips, you know, once you have a really bad fix and flip, like when I told you about, that wiped out the profits. You know, if you lose 150 grand on a fix and flip and you're making $30,000 on each of your smaller fix and flips, you got to go flip five houses just to make up <laughs> right. for the loss on that one house. You know? yeah, so, I, I skipped that step. I always said flipping was too rich for my blood. I don't, I'm too risk adverse. <laughs> Riskiest dollar I've ever made is fixing and flipping houses. Don't do it. It's, it. it's not a great way to make money in real estate. The easiest dollar I ever made was listing real estate and owning bigger or small apartment buildings. You know? Absolutely. So what advice would you give to our listeners that are looking to get started, thinking about getting started, looking to scale? What words of wisdom can you pass on from all your experience? Sure. Well, I would be weary of the gurus out there and the HGTV shows that tell you to go buy a fixer up or down the street and start swinging hammers. That's an extreme, like I said, risky way to get started. Very difficult. You know, when we were managing, you know, a dozen projects, high and flicks and flips, it was like pull your hair out. It's just such a difficult process. If you're not a construction guy, don't get into the fix and flips or bring on a partner that's totally a construction guy because you're getting into the construction business if you're a house flipper. Wholesaling is good. I wholesale a lot of real estate. I have some great stories, like I said there, from wholesaling real estate, but it's tough. You also have to know what you're doing. You're putting up a deposit. The easiest money I ever made was being a listing agent. Okay, getting your realtor's license is pretty easy. In 70 hours, you're licensed. $1,000 later, you're licensed. You now have a title. Right now, listing real estate, if you put it up on the internet, people call you and you send over a contract. It's, it's really not that complicated to be a listing agent on a good market. And then also owning apartment buildings is very, like I said, more forgiving. Uh, it's a longer term strategy. A lot of guys burn out flipping houses. It's just, I'm not going to flip houses for 40 years. I'm not going to work every single day of the week managing, you know, contractors with no integrity for 40 years of my life. It's just an impossible. Um, you could have worked at, you could have worked at enterprise if you wanted to do that. Huh? <laughs> there you go, right? You know, but the apartment buildings, you develop a system, you know, you buy in areas where there's going to be consistent demand. I buy outside of Manhattan within an hour. You know, Manhattan's always going to be there. People are always going to want to live within an hour of Manhattan. We buy at the right price. We maintain them really nicely with our management company. And that's going to be a profitable, long-term, sustainable, sustainable income, right? Because if you really talk to wealthy people, sustainability is a huge factor. Absolutely. So what's next for you then? So we want to get to 65 million in holdings over the next five years. I think we'll definitely get there. I have some meetings with some family offices soon, and those are basically institutionalized investors that say, don't call me unless you have a $5 million investment. So I'm starting to team up with groups like that, which is going to really kind of put us to the next level. We're going to get to 65 million over the next five years. We have about 10 million in holdings right now. We kind of just sold a bunch of real estate that wasn't really cash flowing properly. Some of our smaller buildings or smaller units in like lesser areas that we got started with. And now we're really doubling down the syndications, raising money very aggressively right now. We're buying a building every three or four months. It's great. It's working out very well. The buildings are, are nailing the projections. We've always been able to beat our projections on apartment buildings over, over the long term. And that's what we're going to get to. Cool. So next we have our radio round where we just want to ask a couple quick questions to uh, let our listeners get to know you a little bit better. The first one is what's your favorite book? 
Well, I'd have to say rich dad, poor dad, I guess it did completely change my life and get me here today. Absolutely. That's the most common response we get on the show. Um, yeah, I know it's generic, but okay. what's your favorite quote? My favorite quote. Um, <laughs> I, I, there's a lot of quotes that I like. I I heard Pierce Morgan. <laughs> what did Pierce Morgan say this morning? I thought I was wrong one time, but then I realized I was wrong. So. <laughs> nice. What's your favorite? I just found that really funny. You know? What's your favorite thing to do when you're not working? So I like to dirt bike. I have an ATV. I have a dirt bike. I like to ski. I'm an extreme sports kind of guy. I do have health insurance. I do have life insurance. Don't worry, my investors. I love to get out there to the gray outdoors. I own a couple of properties in Vermont. In fact, I'm going to sneak up there tonight and maybe get around in at Okemo Ski Resort. Can't quite ski the way I used to over in Colorado. I'm not quite in the same shape I was, right. but I did get Olympic level training, so I still can ski backwards down Black Diamond. It's pretty cool. Nice. I'd like to see a video of that. So, where can our listeners find you? Sure. So, our website's peoplescapitalgroup.com. All right. We're always teaming up with new passive investors. People put their money into apartment buildings that we buy, they get passive cash flow checks, they get big lump sums upon the refinance and a ton of tax benefits. So our website is peoplescapitalgroup.com. And if you live in New Jersey or New York or PA and you make it out to one of our events, we have seminars four times a month here in Berkeley Heights. We have a Saturday, a Sunday one, a Tuesday night, a Friday during the day one, all different times or days of the week. But we have webinars as well. And our meetup group is New Jersey Real Estate Network. So that's on meetup.com. And that has over 3,000 investors in it. And that's where you'll find our events and our webinars. You can also go to our website, peoplescapitalgroup.com for our podcast, and our webinars, and our events, and information on how to get qualified for our next apartment building investment. Awesome. Well, Aaron, I really, really enjoyed the interview. And I know that our listeners will too. And we'll definitely keep in touch and keep following you and hope to have you on again soon. Thanks, Sterling. Glad to be here. Have a good day. You too. Thanks for tuning in to the Rent Roll Radio Show brought to you by Crestworth Capital. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. You can also visit us at CrestworthCapital.com or RentRollRadio.com or follow us on Facebook at RentRollRadio or at Crestworth Capital. If you would like to reach us, feel free to shoot us an email at info at rentrollradio.com or sterling at crestwordcapital.com. We hope you come back next week to join us on some more of our journey. Until then, happy investing.